Hello and welcome once again to another edition of On Mike with Jordan Rich. If you're of a certain age, you certainly remember this time-tested phrase, smile, you're on candid camera. I grew up with Candid Camera, as many of us did, and through the decades, this television phenomenon, which was invented by Alan Funt, developed legions of fans, and Alan's son, Peter Funt, has spent a good deal of his life and career keeping Candid Camera alive. With iterations in the 80s and 90s, more than 250 episodes that Peter himself has hosted. He's got a new hysterical book out called Self-Amused, a tell-some memoir, and it's available everywhere fine books are sold. Let's go behind the camera to chat with Peter Funt about the origins of Candid Camera, about his famous dad, and about his career as a journalist, all part of today's podcast. Smile, you're on mic with Jordan Rich. And joining us now on mic is the aforementioned Peter Funt. Peter, I've got to tell you, I read a lot of books, and I've even written one, but I never read a funnier forward in my life. So uh, that, that forward says a lot about who and what this book is all about. Well, you had me till you said forward. I was thinking, wow, this guy liked my whole book. <laughs> and what you're basically saying is you were intrigued by the picture on the cover, or something like that. No, no, I'm talking about I'm, that. I'm kidding you. Yeah. Any compliment is more than <laughs> I deserve, but I'm happy to receive. It's called Self-Amused, a tell-some memoir. So there you go. The wordplay is evident from the title and the the opening pages. Humor is a big part of your life, and you talk a lot about growing up with the famous dad that you had. But where does the humor come from? Is it from dad? Is it from mom? Is it from brothers, sisters, siblings, aunts, uncles, or just inborn? Well, I think I inherited my quirky sense of humor from my father. That's for sure. But, you know, many people who ask about my background and his mistakenly think, well, there must have been a lot of practical joking in the Funt home, you know, whoopee cushions and dribble glasses, whatever. (laughs) That could not be further from the truth. My father was not a practical joker, and he wasn't even a teller of jokes. He, He really didn't do that very often. He liked to laugh, but most importantly, he fancied himself as a student of human nature. I describe him as a very complicated man who was fascinated by life's simplest things. And therein lie his sense of humor and his fascination with people that, of course, led him and then myself to doing Candid Camera. And I think I inherited much of that. You know, I I look around all the time in my everyday life, and many things strike me funny. Things, I'm not laughing at people, I'm laughing at circumstance and behavior. And I decided, well, I'll call that being self-amused, and that led, that led <laughs> to the book. That's my story. Beautiful. The concept of Candid Camera, this concept, this idea was so novel. I also wanted to know if there were lawyers standing by early on to warn your dad and others. What are you doing? Well, it started in 1947 as a radio show called Candid Microphone. And it was on the ABC radio network, or what was called ABC radio at that time. And it was the basic idea that went on to become Candid Camera, 
but it was just audio, hidden microphones. And then the following year, it went to television, believe it or not, 1948. And in fits and starts, it has continued till now, which is to say we've been on again, off again, on again. But between my father and myself, we hold a record in television. Uniquely, we're the only entertainment show in TV history to have produced new episodes in eight different decades. That's incredible. So yeah. you're right. This goes way back and covers two lifetimes, basically. And, uh, you know, over time, we perfected everything from how to hide the camera and microphone to how to talk to people to get the best reactions. And, and even what makes a good joke or a good study for Candid Camera you know, my, my dad did confess later in his life that in the earliest days, he was trying to get a rise out of people. He thought the humor in, initially might be in just aggravating folks. Uh, you know, he'd be the clerk in a hat store and he'd be showing a guy a hat and then he'd crack an egg in it to show, show how uh, sturdy a hat it was. I mean, it was really, really sophomoric stuff. But over time, he turned around completely and realized that, no, 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 this isn't about aggravating people or testing their patience. This is a celebration of human nature. This is to prove that people are good sports. This is to applaud the folks around us who are behaving by and large so graciously or at least interestingly when they don't know they're being watched and and that all shifted and it wasn't until the 1960s when the phrase smile you're on candid camera was coined and that really hit the nail on the head this is a happy experience and you should smile about it and once that was in place, it, the whole thing got easier and better. We're going to talk about your role as a three- and a four-year-old in a minute on Candid Camera. But you're right, Peter, the smile you're on Candid Camera, I grew up with that and would use that as everybody used it in general conversation. Oh, where's Alan Funt? Is he behind that tree? I mean, there's a movie, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the um, Albert Brooks movie, where he, he's in the office and he's about to get fired. Let's get Alan Funt out here and end this thing. In other words, <laughs> it was such a pervasive, uh, beautiful thing. But uh, the yeah, question. By the way, Jordan, speaking of that catchphrase, I once got a trophy from a national plumbing supply company because they wanted to honor the fact that their research had shown that our phrase, smile, you're on candid camera, was the most popular graffiti above restroom urinals. <laughs> you know, you didn't win any Emmys, which is unbelievable, and, and you should have, but you won that great award. You're flush yeah. with excitement. Early on, were there any attorneys who said, Alan, you better think about this a little bit? And was there a team on standby? Because it's not like today where everyone's suing everybody for everything, but what was it like back then? Well, the, don't forget, 1940s was the Wild West of television. They were making this stuff up as they went along. And boy, I don't, there were no lawsuits. There were no attorneys 
I don't know who was even paying attention. <laughs> Sponsors had a considerable influence. And in fact, in the early days of Candid Camera, the most prevalent sponsor were, were tobacco companies. And looking back on that old footage, it's kind of icky to think of the role that mm. big tobacco played in all of our entertainment and media. But no, the lawyers, the, you know, no one knew what to make of this idea that my dad had. Uh, which actually is why, to get serious for a minute, I, he never did win an Emmy, largely because they didn't know what to categorize it. Nowadays, they have, you know, best reality TV shot with a hidden camera at 10,000 feet on a dark night uh, on weekends. You know, it's subdivided now that everybody can win. But back then, there was no category. There was no such thing as reality TV, as as we describe it today. So there was a lot of confusion, and everybody was confused. Lawyers, network executives, sponsors, <laughs> even viewers initially. But that all worked in my dad's favor, you know. He looked like an everyman, so he would blend in and be the, the man behind the counter. And I remember the talking mailboxes, I, so much of this. But let's talk about you, because the, the book is really about your experiences. And as a youngster, dad put you to work, and it's always good to hire your own kids because you don't have to pay them as much. But <laughs> the hanging from the ceiling bit, you talk about that classic bit. What memories do you have from the, say, the three to six or seven-year-old period that stand out? I mean, you write about them in the book. Yeah. Well, my first experience was at age three. He shoved me out on the street corner in New York City with a shoeshine box and suggested that I charge $10 per shoe. And I guess the idea was to see how business people, by and large, would react to such an audacious and young entrepreneur. Yeah, the funny thing is, Jordan, they never thought to save footage back then. I don't just mean outtakes. <clears throat> they didn't even save the finished shows. Wow. They put them on TV and then threw it out. In fact, you probably have read that many of Johnny Carson's classic shows were recorded over mm. because nobody <laughs> thought we'd want to look at that stuff years later. Fortunately, we stopped doing that and we save everything now. But uh, so there's no actual record I can find of what I did at age three, just my dad's stories and family <laughs> lore. But all throughout my school time and teens, I usually got the assignment to help out when they couldn't find anyone young enough, nimble enough or dare I say stupid enough to do a few of the things that dad needed done. And that resulted in the cover of my book, Self Amused, which is an untouched and not retouched photo of me hanging from the ceiling at age 15 uh, in what my dad decided would be an upside down room. And everything in this windowless room that should have been on the floor was hanging upside down from the ceiling, desk, chair, lamp, whatever. And I was the guy behind the desk. And the idea was people would come in looking for information and they'd be shocked to see this. 
and think maybe they were upside down or they were walking on the <laughs> ceiling. Well, among the things we hadn't planned on was you can only be in that position for a minute, maybe two, and then all the blood rushes to your head. So every 90 seconds or so, big guys had to come out and bring me down. And then all day long, I was up and down oh and up and God. down. The saddest part of all is nothing funny ever happened. <laughs> Thing made a great photo for the cover of my book. But, you know, it was what they call cognitive dissonance, where the stimulation was so great, the image was so unbelievable, that people just looked in the door, saw this thing, and panicked and ran away. You have done uh, other versions of the show in the 80s, 90s, and you have a traveling roadshow I want to ask you about in a second. But I'm just curious how a show like that is conceived each episode uh, from your dad's days and your days. Is it sitting around saying, hey, let's see, let's put somebody in a in a spin cycle washing machine. Anything goes and you guys write it and come up with the concept or what? The genesis of most good candid camera ideas is what happened to my dad or now me yesterday. <laughs> so if I'm in a parking lot where there's a bar that has to go up and down so you can get your car out and it's mistimed so that I put my money in, the bar goes up, but before I can move, it goes back down. If that happens to me in real life, even slightly, I'm likely to go back to the office and say, let's get one of those bars, let's rent a parking lot, and let's operate it ourselves so we exaggerate things and we'll make sure nobody can get out because the bar has got a mind of its own. But that's just one of thousands of examples of things that just strike me as funny in everyday life. And that's the best resource for candid camera. I love it. I absolutely love it. That nearly happened to me the other day in my own parking lot. My goodness. it's, it's... There you go. But I also tell audiences often that there's a great similarity, I believe, between the Seinfeld sitcom and Candid Camera. You know, Jerry Seinfeld, Larry David are fond of saying theirs was a show about nothing. Mm. Yeah, I get it. But we all know it wasn't nothing. It was the something that made up our mundane, everyday lives. Yada, yada, yada. You know, is, is fat-free <laughs> yogurt really fat-free? Right, right. Or is the guy selling soup a nice guy or a Nazi-like character? Um, and, and the thought process for Candid Camera is exactly the same. Looking for those little things in life, the things people can relate to, and then exaggerating it. In Jerry's case, scripted for a sitcom. In our case, exaggerated to provoke an interesting reaction in real life. Can you talk about the stage show? Because I love this idea, and I'm curious how you actually do it. It's it's a live presentation. What do you use video as well in your? Yeah, and and it's so much fun to do. It was interrupted as everything in theaters was by the pandemic but we're just now getting back on the road. But for several years, my team and I have been going to theaters all across the country 
with our, our what we call our LOL tour. And it's a two hour stage show that incorporates, yes, some clips from Candid Camera, some live onstage comedy, some music, and some tricks that we play on the audience. Now, I can't get into that now or it would spoil it for our next attendees, but uh, it's, it's really all of the above. It's as close as we could come to sharing the candid camera experience for a live audience like that. But a lot of it is also nostalgia. I mean, my goodness, we have a library between my dads and myself of thousands of sequences covering eight different decades. And just the highlights from that is, is fascinating to review and a lot of fun for audiences. Your work has been so present in the, in the area of humor, but I want to talk to you a little bit about journalism and serious journalism because you've been at that game as well, teaching it, studying it, practicing it. Your thoughts on where we are journalistically today, the way things are going, media is so skewed. What What's your take on where we are? Oh, that's a serious left turn in our conversation. Uh, uh, but you, you've hit the nail on the head because that's my life, Jordan. I do wear two hats. One currently is that of an opinion columnist, and I appear regularly in USA Today and the Wall Street Journal. And those columns have nothing whatsoever to do with candid camera. Rather, I'm talking about politics and well, not too much the economy. That's not my specialty, but politics and media and 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 the environment of things that are troubling our world. And it is kind of difficult sometimes for me to spend a half my day thinking up funny stuff for candid camera and the other half trying to write serious opinion for uh, a newspaper column. But if your question was, what do I think of the state of our affairs? Uh, you know, I have to say, I was so relieved when Joe Biden got elected. I was so pleased that the country would then have a chance to, you know, really get back on the right track. And I re retained that cautious optimism, but I, I can't say I've been comfortable <laughs> so far in, 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 with the new administration. It's not that their hearts are in the wrong place. It's that things have just been so tough. The, the pandemic is incredibly difficult to, to manage. The Afghanistan matter was, uh, unfortunately, I think, mishandled. The um, economy and the budget, uh, and we're, you know, we now talk about trillions of dollars as if it's uh, uh, money in a mayonnaise jar or something. Um, boy, I don't know if anybody could, could do a good job with this, but you add to that the fact that Americans, and I'm talking about the general public now, myself perhaps included, are so darn divided about everything. 
And it's not just that we have an honest difference of opinion. There would be nothing new about that. It's that we're so obstinate about mm -hmm. it and we're so arrogant about it. It's scary to talk to people who used to be your friend and find that, you know, that they, they can't even communicate civilly anymore about the things that we all have on our mind. Well, would you agree with me that the, the line between opinion and hard news coverage has really been blurred to the extent you are an opinion writer when you write for USA Today or The Wall Street Journal? We know that because it says, you know, you're on the opinion page, but it seems as though so many things are skewed and blurred and, uh, and there's not as much objective reporting. That was my... Hmm my overall take on things. And you're exactly right. And I don't know what to do about that. I teach journalism to high school students here in California. And we talk about that. You know, the outlets from which we get most of our news and information, whether it's CNN, MSNBC, Fox News Channel, if that's your preference, the point is these have become echo chambers. That's the term people like to use because they don't really objectively report the news. They intersperse commentary and flog a particular point of view, whether it's left, right, whatever, over and over. It tends to attract viewers who don't really want to learn or be informed so much as they want to be reinforced. And, and thus the term echo chamber and that reinforcement is helping to divide the whole country. And what a shame that journalism, which I, you know, I, I think is, is our, arguably our most cherished institution in the U.S., is somewhat to blame for the mm. problems we have today. Well said. I, I'm going to return to candid camera talk yeah, because we need do. we need let the me, humor and, and your let book. Let me off the hook here. <laughs> I'm going to let you off the hook. Getting back to the, the work that makes us smile, the celebrities. And I remember loving it when your dad would pull stunts on celebrities. Do you have a favorite story or two about a celebrity issue with, with the modern candid camera that you were involved in? Well, I have to make clear that when we use celebrities on candid camera, it's more placing them as guest stars on our side hmm. to fool other people, not so much to trick them. There have been exceptions, and I've participated in a few. Uh, for example, and I think I cover this in the book, I once had an opportunity to do a sequence in which I caught members of the New York Yankees baseball team. Um, and my little premise was that I would pretend to be a representative from the commissioner's office, and I would confront these guys one at a time in a meeting room in the stadium and to tell them that the commissioner was very concerned that there was too much spitting during games <laughs> and too much crotch rubbing that was being seen on national television. Beautiful. And we got to do something about this. Well, it was funny, and the guys were pleasantly thrown and in denial, I must say, about, you know, that this was a problem. But uh, one, <laughs> one funny thing happened where one player who, for this moment, will remain nameless, but I'll just say 
uh, a star on the Yankees at the time. I told him he was rubbing his crotch too much. He denied it emphatically. When we went back to the editing room and looked at the footage, we saw that the camera, when it pulled back, could see under the table. <laughs> and the more he denied it, the more furiously he was rubbing his crotch. And we did show that on network TV. And um, that was one of the funnier moments with celebrities. But like I say, we, we don't really like to try to catch celebrities that that's not yeah. our thing well Other shows as you that. as you tell that story you know there's more of adler and freud and and all the great psychotherapists down through history rolled into a candid camera episode because it really is as you said earlier peter a, a look at our own human behavior which on the face of it is funny i'm very proud to say that our footage my father's and mine is used to this day on hundreds of college and university campuses in, in the study of psychology. So uh, th there is method to our madness that there people smarter than I are dissecting this footage and drawing some interesting conclusions, or at least helping to illustrate established principles for students in the classroom. But it's a great honor for us. There aren't many entertainment shows in U.S. television history that can say they also have a college component <laughs> to their material. Maybe Jeopardy, but uh, that's <laughs> that's legit in terms of what we see is what we get. We, on Candid Camera, you never know when a mailbox will start speaking to you or whatever. You had uh, yeah. one, one story, I think, about uh, pay phones and Dad giving you some coins. And uh, Do you recall those moments when you just sort of went out and anything could happen. Do you remember that? Wow. I'm not sure what you're referring to, Jordan. Now, you know, when I think of pay phones and coins, I more often think about my time at ABC News where, you know, in the, in the early days when I was reporting for, for radio, we always had to use pay phones to call in and to feed our material. Alligator and clips. Well, before that, we even in New York, we carried pipe wrenches so that we could remove the mouthpiece of the telephone right. to get to those attachment points yeah. for our alligator clips. Now that I think of it, 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 if you read my book, and I thank you for that, I also did mention coins. This was when I was going to college, and my right. family sent me... I went to the University of Denver, and it was a 1,800-mile drive for me as a 17-year-old who'd never really left home. And there I was going cross-country all alone. And my parents, bless their heart, gave me things, all of which you would never use on such a drive today, starting with a map. Whoever has a map anymore, we have GPS and stuff, but nobody has one of those folding maps that, by the way, you could open, but no one could ever refold <laughs> properly. Glad I'm not the only one. Yes. But yeah, and then they but the, they gave you coins, they, right? Was that that's what I read? I, they gave you yeah, they a gave stack a of roll, a roll of dimes in the hopes that I would call home from a payphone somewhere in Nebraska or something. 
I tried my best, but, and my mom, bless her heart, gave me stamps for postcards. Of course, of course. Yeah, what a different era that was. It's hard to imagine that we, we managed to survive that way. Well, what, what's really interesting is that when you do your things today, whether it's on the screen or on stage, you're dealing with so many technical advancements and you can still have fun with people despite you know the phone that has all the computer power of apollo 11 you can still fool people that's the beauty well, it of it plays right into our hands i'm often asked are people harder to fool today because they're so savvy about you know media and technology and whatever and my answer is absolutely positively people are easier to fool today than ever before and part of it is the technology, but everybody we encounter, most people we encounter nowadays are multitasking. You know, my dad used to have to work to sort of distract a person to do a little joke. Nowadays, people are self-distracting. Exactly. You don't have to worry about that. Your dad was a master, no question. One additional bonus, this is great, a video download of 15 classic sequences of Candid Camera when you buy the book, Self-Amused. That's a nice deal. Yeah, the way I look at it, uh, 15 of our best sequences on a download is probably worth what Amazon or Barnes & Noble, whatever, would charge you for my book, in which case the book is free. <laughs> Spoken like a government official is dealing with our budgets in Washington. It's all free. It doesn't cost anything. It's actually great. It's called Self-Amused to Tell Some Memoir. I got an early peek at it and uh, just the wordplay and the shtick. I love the quote from Howie Mandel on the press sheet. Quote, I haven't read it, but someone might. <laughs> this is great. Uh, Howie Mandel is, is now a friend of mine. You know, he spent much of his career ripping off Candid Camera and yeah. doing his own version. And I thought, well, either I'm going to sue this guy or befriend him. And it turns out he's a wonderful guy and a nice friend. And he's very, very, he says wonderful things about how my father really influenced him and launched his career, at which so many of our People in showbiz and, and comedy say the same thing. So, yeah, Howie was nice enough to read the book and and then pretend he didn't. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I, gotta... I, I hate to think that the blurbs are the best part of my book. No, no, but no. But if no. that's the case, uh, I'll go with it. For those of us who are punsters and wordplay fans and just referencing certain funny things, Comedy Gold. Comedy Gold, my friend. Yeah. Thank you. Thank really you. great. Peter Funt, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking to a real pro and a great, great American icon. Thank you so much. Pleasure, Jordan. Thank you. Hope to see you again. Self-Amused, A Tell Some Memoir is a very funny book by a very funny and very intelligent guy, Peter Funt, who's carrying on the legacy of his legendary dad, Alan Funt, with Candid Camera. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to Ken Carberry and the gang at Chart Productions in Boston, where we produce the podcast. And a special thank you to all of you guys out there listening. I so appreciate it. Visit jordanrich.com to find out more. And until we get together again, remember to be well so you can do good. Take care.